<clears throat> I stumbled across a quote recently that you have probably read at some point, but it just shows a, uh, gives us a picture of what it looks like in God's eyes as he looks down upon the earth. This is from Christ Object Lessons, page 196. It says this, the value of a soul, who can estimate? Would you know its worth? Go to Gethsemane and there watch with Christ through those hours of anguish when he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Look upon the Savior uplifted on the cross. Hear the despairing cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look upon the wounded head, the pierced side, the marred feet. Remember that Christ risked all for our redemption. Heaven itself was in peril. Listen to this. At the foot of the cross, remembering that for one sinner, Christ would have laid down his life, you may estimate the value of a soul. How valuable is just one soul? It's of inestimable value. Value. It is so valuable that there is no price tag that can be placed upon it. As we look at Calvary and we see Jesus hang on the cross, there we begin to see with a very dim glimpse the value of just one soul. Now, we are tempted from time to time to become discouraged when we do some form of outreach, when we don't get the return that we would like to see in our, from our efforts. But when we look at it from God's perspective, even one soul brings great joy into the kingdom of heaven. Would you say amen? God is not looking for numbers. He's looking for conversion. God is not looking for lots of baptisms. God is looking for those one people here and there who are willing to give their hearts in complete surrender to him. Now, if this is how valuable one soul is, what about the 7.3 billion people that populate this earth? See, oftentimes we're tempted to place a higher value on one soul than another. Well, if the person's educated and have a lot of money, that soul in our eyes, for some reason, tends to have a little bit more value than somebody who walks in off the streets, as uh, we have sometimes, that maybe doesn't even have a roof over their heads. And so we sometimes uh, gravitate over here to the person who is of some sort of wealth and prestige, and we want them to become a member of our church. But that person over here that is of a lower value and dirty and not really somebody that we want to look at, we tend to kind of just want them to go away sometimes. But Jesus died on a cross for that one person. And he would have died for that one person if it was only that one person who would accept him. And if God so loved the world that he was willing to give his only begotten son in payment for that one person uh, that walks in off the street, we ought to place some value on that soul as well. Wouldn't you say amen? Who can place the value on a soul? You know, values are tricky things to really be able to come up with. It's really based off of how much somebody is willing to give for whatever it is that you're selling, right? And the higher that per the more that person is willing to give for whatever it is that you're selling, the more valuable that thing becomes. And when we look at a soul, God said, listen, uh, that soul is not just an angel's worth of value. 
But that one soul is worth my son's death on Calvary's cross. Here's another one. This is from Testimonies for the Church, volume 5, page 614. It says, in comparison with the worth of one soul, the whole world, what does it do? Sinks into what? Insignificance. The whole world sinks into insignificance. This is interesting to me because oftentimes we spend our time seeking after the things of the world to make our lives more comfortable, to provide for our so-called needs. Sinner that repenteth. All it takes is one, and there brings joy into the kingdom of heaven. All it takes is one convert, one sinner that gives their heart to the Lord. And the Bible says there's joy in the presence of the... Can you imagine what it's like when one person gives their heart to God? There's so much joy with the angels. They're singing glory, hallelujah. And not just the angels are happy, but all heaven rings with joy when one person gives their heart to God. Are we bringing joy or trying to find joy in the pleasures of this world? Or are we bringing joy to heaven? Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 6, or sorry, verse 4 through 6, verses 4 through 6. We're going to look at two quick stories here together this morning. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, it's a story we're familiar with. The Bible says, what man of you having an hundred sheep... If he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he lay it on his shoulders. What does the Bible say? Rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And then verse 7, we read it. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth moreover than ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. We've read the story before. The one lost sheep. Jesus is the, is the shepherd here, and he leaves the ninety and nine behind to go and find that one lost sheep. The one lost sheep is represented by those who once knew God but have drifted away. They have wandered away from God and somehow they've gotten themselves lost in the affairs of the world. And Jesus is giving us an example that we should follow to leave the 99 behind and to go search after the one lost sheep. Now, just in case you're wondering, we probably have a few lost sheep in our community who once knew God, but for one reason or another have gotten caught up with the affairs of the world. The question is, who will follow the example of Jesus and go look for that one lost sheep? You see, we're, we're usually more comfortable with the 99. Well, we've got 99 here. Ah, who cares about that one? They can just find their way back somehow. But you know how it is with sheep. Once they get lost, they really can't find their way back. And it's not until they're lost that they all of a sudden realize, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be back in the sheepfold, and I have no way of getting there. They need a shepherd to come and find them. How many of you would like to be a shepherd? 
Lord, use me to help lead somebody back to the fold. Somebody who once knew God, but for one reason or another has drifted away, gotten caught up with the cares of, the, of life. They need a shepherd to help lead them back to the fold. Now, there's much more that could be said about that, but that's not where I want to focus my time. I want to focus my time on the next one. So let's keep reading here. Verse 8, the Bible says this. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver... If she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she call her friends and her neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I have lost. And then we've read verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. The sheep represents somebody who once knew God but have drifted away. The coins in this story represent somebody who never knew God and doesn't even know that they are lost. It's interesting. Today, there are people in our world, in our modern, fast-paced society, with all of the technology gizmos, and all of the millions of people who profess the name of Jesus, there are still people on this earth who have never heard the name of Jesus. That's just staggering to me. We have one over, over 1.2 million Seventh-day Adventists in North America alone. And there are still people in our world who have not even heard the name of Jesus. There's something wrong with this picture. There's 3.1 billion people in the world today who need to be found. They are the lost coins, if you will, in our story this morning. They are in this world. They are part of this world. They are part of society, but they don't even know that there is a God that is worth serving. They need somebody to go and find them to search diligently, looking through the rubble and the muck and the dirt and the mess of life to find that one lost coin. You see, this woman was not comfortable enough with just nine coins. She wanted all ten. And neither should we be comfortable with where we are at in our religious experience and where we are at in terms of uh, geography, but we should be diligently searching for that one lost coin. Would you say amen? Now, I'm thankful that this church has seen value in foreign missions and has made the decision to make it part of our outreach endeavor to reach out to far-flung parts of the world, particularly India, with Dan going over there and doing evangelistic series. I'm thankful that this church sees value in that because there are many lost coins that need to be found. Listen to the statement, Acts of the Apostles, page 109. It says this, all over the world, all over where? All over the world, men and women look wistfully to heaven. Prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered in. And we've seen this. As Dan's come back and done his mission reports, we have seen this, that there were many on the verge that were just waiting to be gathered in. As he goes there and preaches these seminars, there are, there, the, the Spirit of God is poured out and souls are won. Lost coins are found. Amen? But there's still more. 
There's still more lost coins out there that need to be found. And we should never be comfortable where we are at. Well, there are coins, lost coins, that need to be found. Let me share with you a few things as I paint this picture a little bit more for you here this morning. I want you to understand one thing. I love our church. Not just this church, our church. I love our church, amen? But we have areas of growth, don't we? We need to grow a little bit. And I want to paint this picture for you about the lost coins. In 1906, the Adventist church sent out 577 missionaries. At, time, at that time, the world church membership was at 80,000 people. Now, if you compare that to today, the North American division currently, not the world church, but the North American division, as I mentioned, 1.2 million in membership, and the, denomination, the denominationally paid missionaries has dropped to just 235 missionaries. Do we have some room for growth? You might be one of the missionaries that need to answer the call. Less than half the amount of missionaries are being sent out, denominationally paid missionaries. Now listen, we have organizations like AFM and ASAP and Jesus for Asia and all of these supporting ministries that are funding missionaries in other parts of the world. And I'm thankful for that because if all we did was depend upon the world church to send out missionaries, we would see that there are only 235 foreign missionaries that are out there. We have room for growth in this area. In 1906... There was one missionary for every 138 members in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In 2013, there's one missionary for every 4,600 or 4,000, yeah, 680 members. Do we have an area for growth here? Do we need to grow in this area a little bit? There's a whole world that needs to be reached. There are so many lost coins that are out there. And I'm going to venture to say, I might be putting my neck out on the line here, but I'm going to venture to say that the vast majority of the lost coins are not here in North America. Most people here in North America have access to the Word of God. They have, there, there are churches on every street corner. There are Bibles in abundance. We have access to the gospel here in North America. Whether we accept that access or not, that's another story. But there are vast parts of the world where they don't even have access to the word of God. They have no access to missionaries. They have no access to churches or to our Bible as we know it. They have no access to the stuff because there are no workers that are there to be able to share that with them. Now, while I was over in the Philippines... John Wood, he gave one of the messages um, in the morning, and he shared something that just really rattled my cage. The Mormon church has 14.8 million members worldwide. They have 74,000 missionaries that they send out. plus another 32,000 part-time missionaries. Is there something wrong with that picture? 74,000 missionaries. Now, the thing that really disturbed me was this. John showed this video, and you could probably Google it and find it yourself. But it was a, it was a montage of videos of young people in the Mormon church 
reading the letter from the church telling them where they were going to go serve. They don't have a choice. They get a letter from the church saying, this is where you are going to serve as a missionary for X amount of years. Now, when that time comes and they get that letter, they actually have, it's like a birthday party. It's a celebration. They call all of their family, all of their friends together. There's cake, there's punch, there's all of this time of rejoicing. And then there comes a time when they stand up in front of all their people, all their friends, and they open up the letter and they pull it out and they read it in front of everybody that they have been summoned by the Mormon church as a missionary to Rwanda, to Zambia, to Germany, to wherever it is. And there's a time of rejoicing and celebrating and there's crying and tears of joy as these young people are called into the mission field. I thought to myself, Lord, what are we doing? Instead of that, we, you know, we're calling our young people to go get some sort of education so they can make lots of money and become successful people. Do we have some room for growth here, yes or no? We need to grow in this area. There are so many lost coins that are out there that God wants us to find. We need to go and search after those lost coins. Did you know that the average North American Adventist gives $21 to foreign missions every year? That's $1.75 a month. Some parents spend more than that in gumball machines every month. $21 a year given to foreign missions. Here's the thing that's staggering to me. If every Adventist in North America gave $100 a year to foreign missions, it would quadruple how much we are sending to foreign missions right now. That's $9 a month. How many of you can afford $9 a month? I think every single one of us here could afford $9 a month. You know, just... Don't buy the bag of potato chips. Cancel the cable subscription. Sell the television. Whatever it may be. Nine bucks a month, $100 a year, it would quadruple. That's very tangible. That's very obtainable. I think most of us here this morning could do this. Now, I know I might be making Jim a little nervous over here, so let me say something really quickly here. I'm not saying that you take the money that you give to the church and send it to the foreign mission field. This is in addition to, because we still have a mission field here that needs to be serviced. Amen? We still have people here that need to be reached, and we know how difficult our territory is, but God has called us here, and he wants us to reach out to our community, and we need to support the work that is going on here, but not to the detriment of the work that needs to be done over there. In 1930, Adventists gave $6.45 to missions for every $10 in tithe. So for every $10 in tithe, Adventists gave an additional $6.45 to foreign missions. In 2008, for every $10 in tithe, are you ready for this? For every $10 in tithe, 36 cents was given to foreign missions. Where your treasure is, the Bible says, there will your heart be also. There's something fundamentally wrong going on here in North America. We are, ex- we, we, are, we are growing in terms of numbers, but the financial records are showing that much of the funds is being kept 
here. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't keep some of the money because we have work that needs to be done here in North America. But there's a large amount of work that needs to be done overseas as well. And we have seen firsthand in our church how just this much, how far a little bit goes when it's used overseas. You've heard it from up front here. You know, we spent a fraction of the amount to send, uh, you know, the work over into India that we do for our evangelistic series over here in the States. And the results are exponentially different. So let me tell you a couple of stories here this morning that might encourage you. We have some room for growth, but there's some exciting things that are going on that we need to highlight, that I would like to highlight anyways. During my time in the Philippines, I met a lady by the name of Gail. She's from North America. Thin, small little thing. Looks like if the wind blew too hard, it would blow her away. Tiny lady. She stood up on Sabbath morning during the Sabbath school time, and she shared her testimony. She is currently a missionary in northern Thailand, in the mountains of Thailand. She's been working there for many years. But she told that one day, while she was here in the States, she had a beautiful home in Montana, two sons and a husband. She had a career as a nurse. Everything seemed to be going great. She loved the Lord. She was Seventh-day Adventist. She had a good relationship with God. And then on Christmas Day, her husband called her and said, I'm going to divorce you. She had no idea it was coming. Completely blindsided by the phone call. She prayed and asked the Lord to salvage her marriage, but for whatever reason, her husband was set that he was going to get divorced, and he did. He divorced her. Her life just kind of went into a bit of a tailspin, but shortly after that, she was given an invitation to help some missionaries over in Thailand. They needed somebody to come and relieve them for a couple of weeks, and So she decided, I could go for a couple of weeks. You know, she's a nurse, and she could use those skills over there. And so she went over to Thailand for two weeks to help these missionaries. And while she was there, she caught a vision that completely transformed her life. I like the way John calls these mission trips. John Wood, he calls them vision trips. You go over there, and you catch a vision. And if you ever want to go on a vision trip, let me know. I'll work one out for you. It is a life transforming experience. So she went over there on this vision trip, and she caught a vision of the work that needs to be done and the talents that the Lord had given to her. And one thing led to another, and she found herself in a mountain village far from civilization ministering to the people in the mountains. She has a medical clinic there, a clinic up in the mountains where she services people's needs. People come to her. She goes out to them Uh, Just a beautiful facility of what's going on. She said that people will go past two other clinics and a hospital to come to hers. Because the word has gotten out in the region that people who come and see Gail get well. That's because Gail prays with them. That's because Gail loves them and Gail ministers to their needs. She showed us pictures of her time over. I wish I had time to tell you all everything. I mean, when she finished her Sabbath school lesson, I was literally sitting in the front row weeping as I listened to what the Lord is doing through this woman. Frail and out of her brokenness, God raised her up to do a mighty work for him 
in the foreign mission field. She showed pictures of her four-wheel drive truck sliding off of the road in the rainy season as they're going to try to help some tribe out in the mountain regions. She showed pictures of her and and her helper uh, riding a motorcycle. He's got a bag of supplies in front of him, and she's got a bag of supplies in front of her, and she's just grabbing on and holding on to him for all she's worth. She said she's flipped off the back of the motorcycle four times, and she hasn't broke her neck yet. This is a lady that, by our standards, should be sitting home retired, enjoying her grandchildren. What is she doing? She's over in the mission field helping people come to know Jesus better. She said, she, 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 she said the people over there are heavily addicted to cocaine. She showed a picture of a young man that she'd been helping walking down the road, and he had a syringe behind his ear. Just heavily addicted to the stuff. You know, I mean, the kids are not taken care of because the parents are out trying to scrounge up as much money as they can to be able to get their next hit. It's just so much need. She said, we help people year after year, and they're thankful for the help, but we have largely seen little change in their lives. Now, I know what I'd be tempted to say, you know, my, in my carnal flesh, man, if, you know, if I'm not seeing results, I'm just going to go back home. What's the sense? Leave them, to their, leave them to their, you know, their broken lives. Just leave them and I'm going to come back home and enjoy my family. But no, Gail continues to work. She told us after eight years, after how many years? After eight years, she saw her first 14 baptisms. Eight years of looking for lost coins of helping this person and that person getting up in the middle of the night, trudging, you know, trudging through the woods in the jungle where there are poisonous snakes and wild elephants that will you know, rush you if they see a human being. It's just a very hostile environment. And there she is ministering for the Lord, and she just harvested her first 14 souls for Jesus. I praise the Lord there's people like this that are working for him. Now, by the way, if you want to support Gail's work, you can go to Jesus for Asia. You go to, go to the website, Jesus for Asia, and you can donate to her mission and help support her work. She's over there again. She left right after PYC. She went right back over there to continue working for the people in northern Thailand. I met another man while I was there. His name was Pete. He's a native Filipino. Uh, and this guy is doing some amazing things for the Lord as well. Pete was uh, educated as a teacher. He taught for many years in the school, in the school system there in the Philippines. By Filipino standards, he lived a pretty good life. He was educated. He had a home. He had a family. He lived a pretty good life. But then he heard about some of the people in the mountainous regions of the Philippines that needed to learn about Jesus. And so he decided that he would leave his occupation that he would leave the comforts of life behind, the stability life, that, the, st- the stable life that he was living, and that he would put his life in the hands of God and go and serve him in the mission field. Now, it particularly spoke to me because he has a family. And you know, as a parent, I oftentimes think about how am I going to provide for my family? But Pete said, you know what? But the Lord loves my kids more than I do. So he left it in the Lord's hands. The Lord is providing for him and his family. Just a tremendously beautiful family. And I was talking to John Wood, and he said to me, if you want to hear miracle stories, you need to talk to Pete. 
because the Lord is really blessing the work that he's doing there. And John told me the story that happened to him. Pete is, as I mentioned, up in the mountains trying to minister to these people. And he has these fields that he's growing rice in to give to the people to meet their needs. They don't have much, you know, to be able to provide for themselves. So he grows this food to give to them to meet their needs. The story goes that there was a storm that was coming, a big thunderstorm that was coming. And this thunderstorm was going to destroy all of the crops. Pete prayed and said, Lord, I'm giving you this piece of land. It's not mine. It's yours. You can do with it whatever you want. I'd like to be able to give the harvest from this crop to your children. As the story goes, the the storm came and it destroyed all of the rice crops except for Pete's. I mean, his, his rice crop was right here. There was another rice field over here and another rice field over there. And they were completely destroyed, but Pete's was beautifully preserved. And there's just story after story like this of this man who has entrusted his whole life into the hands of God and said, Lord, this is your work. Do with it as you will. Uh, he, he caught me as I was walking uh, through one of the rooms one day, and he said, Pastor, I want you to meet my daughter. And he brought his daughter over. She couldn't have been more than 12 years old. And he pointed at her, and he said, she is a frontline missionary. She speaks the native language of the mountain people, the language that Pete himself doesn't even speak. So he ministers to the people there through his children who are able to translate for him and share the gospel with the people that he is teaching. Isn't that amazing? Nobody knows about Pete. He works in relative obscurity, but he's working for his master, and he's laying up treasures in heaven, and he's bringing joy into the presence of the angels of God over the one sinner that repents as a result of his work. I met another young man. I don't have a picture of him because I briefly saw him. I didn't actually meet him, but I heard about him. Um, his, his name was MacDong. He was another native Filipino guy, young guy, not married. And he felt the calling of God in his life to go and minister to some of the people in the mountains as well, close to where Pete was, same island. But there was something different about these people. They were so far removed from society that the men in the village still wore loincloths. That's how far removed they were. Now, I met a young lady who interviewed this, this man, Magdong. And she told me this. This is what she told me after she interviewed him. She said that the people of that village will not allow people into their village who are wearing normal clothes. Now, it's not because they don't have any, they have something against clothes. But in their mind, when they see somebody with clothes, they automatically associate that with somebody who's going to take an advantage of them. The people in the mountains are oftentimes taken advantage of by the people in the lowlands. And so it pushes them further and further away and deeper and deeper into the mountains. And so they equate in their mind, if somebody has clothes on, that they are going to, they're going to mistreat me in some way. So they've just separated themselves from society and from any contact with somebody who might know Jesus. MacDon heard about this group of people that are largely isolated from society, and he felt a burden in his heart to go and share Jesus with these people. 
But he didn't have the money to make it the, the, the 770 mile trek. So he jumped on his bike and he rode his bike for eight days. For 770 miles. It was the only means of transportation he had. He rode his bike, he got on a boat when he needed to, and he rode his bike again until he got to the place where these people were. And then he did the ultimate thing. He laid aside his clothing and he took the clothing of the native people because he wanted to be able to reach them at their level. Listen, this guy is not even doing the work of missionaries. He's doing the work of a pre-missionary. He's getting these people conditioned to think that somebody who has clothes on isn't always going to take an advantage of you. So that when a missionary eventually comes to that village, they can be more accepting of that individual. MacDonald will work in the village for about three months at a time, and then he'll go down into the city to make a little bit of extra money to buy supplies so that he can go back up in the mountains and continue ministering to the people there. He sold his bike so that he could use that money to buy supplies to take up into the mountains to minister to the people that need to know Jesus. These people are so uneducated. They have so many physical needs and spiritual needs. It's just amazing what needs these people have. And I praise the Lord that there are people who have accepted the call of God to go and look for the one lost coin. Amen? Beautiful people over there in the Philippines that are looking for Jesus. Listen to this. What can you do? Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 55, in closing, it says this. Not all, that, not all can go as missionaries to the foreign land, but all can give of their means for the carrying forward of foreign missions. How many can give of their means? Did you know that for just $90 a month, you can support a Bible worker in India? Did you know that just for $150 a month, you can support a Bible worker in the Philippines? Did you know that for $7 a month, you can support a child to be able to get an education over in that part of the world? An education that will not only transform their life, but will give them access to Jesus. $7 a month. Some of us spend more on pizza per month than that. Go to these websites, AFM, Adventist Frontiers, Jesus for Asia, ASAP Ministries. Go to these websites. Look at the ministries that are taking place. Look at the projects that are going on and ask the Lord, Father, where can I give a little bit, even if it's just a couple of dollars here and there, to help support the work? Did you know that we have missionaries who are coming back from their mission field because there's no money to support them? That's a crime. They have to come back to the United States because there's not the means to support them to be able to go forward. Did you know we have printing presses and printing houses that have had to close down in foreign mission fields because there's not enough money to run those presses to print our materials? They don't have the money to import it from the States. It's just too expensive. There's a great need. There are many lost coins that are out there that God is calling us to help and to invest our time, our energy, our prayers, and our means to help support this beautiful work to reach those lost coins. Gospel Workers, page 115. I didn't put this on the screen. I apologize for it, but it's a rather amusing statement. It says this, The Duke of Wellington was once presented, present, rather, where a party of Christian men were discussing the possibility of success in missionary effort among the heathen. They appealed to the Duke to say whether, in his judgment, such efforts were likely to prove a success commiserate the cost. 
The old soldier replied, gentlemen, what are your marching orders? Success is not the question for you to discuss. If I read your orders aright, they run thus. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Gentlemen, obey your marching orders. I say amen to that. Amen? God has called us to go into all the world. He hasn't called us to just go where it's comfortable, but he's called us to go into all the world. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but maybe the Lord is calling you to go someplace that is uncomfortable. Maybe the Lord is calling you to go to someplace where there are genuine lost coins who don't even know that they are lost, who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Don't push that thought out of your mind just because maybe you're in the, what you think of the eve of your life, or maybe you're in the point of retirement, or whatever it may be. Think about Gail, who is willing to leave family, friends, grandchildren, and everything behind to go and invest in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe God is calling you. But if God isn't calling you into the foreign mission field, you certainly can be praying for these people and you certainly can be looking for ways to be able to support them because we do need people back home supporting the work. 2016, there was an unnamed ISIS fighter who took great pleasure in killing Christian people. One day, this ISIS soldier had a dream. It's a dream of a man in white, and the man in white said to him, why are you killing my people? After that dream, this guy never felt comfortable with what he was doing. But he continued his acts of murder, taking, you know, the life of other Christians. But he didn't find as much pleasure in it as he did before. One day, there was a Christian in front of him that he was about to execute. And before he took the life of that man, the man reached into his pocket and handed this ISIS soldier his Bible and said, please, read the Bible. The soldier took the Bible, and then he took the life of the Christian. Took the Bible home, didn't give it a whole lot of thought. But then one day he began to read that Bible. And as he began to read some of the stories that were in the Bible, it began to speak to his heart. And then one day he had a second dream. And in that second dream, there was another man in white. The same man that he saw in that last dream. And this man in white said, listen, I want you to accept Jesus and become a Christian. Fortunately, there was a missionary that this man was able to find. In that hostile environment where Christians were being martyred, there was a missionary that this ISIS soldier was able to find, and that missionary was able to lead that man to Jesus, and he became a Christian. But I wonder to myself, What if that missionary said, oh, boy, that's too dangerous. I'm not going there. 
You know, it's interesting to me, the gospel commission doesn't say just go where it's safe. It says to go, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I know that's radical, but that's what God is calling us to do. And I praise the Lord that that man decided to go to that mission field because even if it was just that one ISIS soldier, there was one more coin that was found. And when that man who had murdered Christians, just like Paul did, gave his heart to Jesus, there was joy in the presence of the angels of God. There was joy in the kingdom of heaven because of that one sinner who repented of his ways and gave his heart to Jesus. Amen? In closing, Eric Little, he was an Olympic medalist who went and served as a missionary, gave up his career in sports, went and served as a missionary for 20 years in China and eventually died in a prison camp, made this statement. We are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring men, bring people nearer to Christ, or we repel them from Christ. It's one or the other, but we're all missionaries. As soon as we accept the name of Christian, baptized, join the body of believers, we are missionaries. Whether you are actively sharing your faith or not, just by the fact that you proclaim to be a Christian, you are a missionary. And the question is, is my influence drawing people or is it repelling people? I know we have all of our reasons for why things happen the way they do in our lives, but that's the bottom line. The question is, is my influence drawing people or is it repelling people? have two things I want to leave you with this morning, and it's this. Number one, I want to ask you to sincerely pray and say, Lord, how can I help support foreign missions more in my financial planning? I'm not asking you to take money away from what you give to the church, because if you just take what you give to the church and you put it into foreign missions, what sacrifice is that? There's no sacrifice in that. But I want you to pray and say, Lord, how can, I, how can I support foreign missions more in my life? I think just about all of us here could give a little bit more, even if it's the widow's two mites. I know some of us struggle financially, but I think we all can give a little bit more. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to leave you with is this. Lord, please let my influence be one that draws and not repel. Amen? How many of you want that experience? Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you were willing to send your son to find those lost sheep and to look for those lost coins. And Father, we want to follow Jesus' example. We want to do our master's bidding. We want to follow our marching orders. We want to be the missionaries that you've called us to be. Maybe, Lord, you want us to go to the foreign mission field. If that's so, make it clear to us. Maybe you want us to stay here and continue, continue to support the work with our means. But Father, I pray whatever it is that you will give us an atmosphere around us, that you will give us a heart 
that draws people to Jesus and doesn't repel them. We want to be missionaries, Lord, that draw people closer to you. Help us to this end because you are the only one that can put in our heart the sweet atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven. Father, please do this work for us, we pray. And bless us as we reach out into our community and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.